<laughs> Pot of gold. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Ramble by the River. I'm your host, Jeff Nesbitt, and we got another great show for you today. It is Saturday, July 30th, the year of our Lord, 2022. And joining me on the podcast today is the great and powerful Jacob Miller. Trying this one without headphones, just because I don't like the way they make me feel. Locked in, like I'm going to make a mistake and it matters. It doesn't matter. It's a podcast. Welcome to Ramble by the River. As I said before, I'm your host, Jeff Nesbitt, and we've got a wonderful show for you today. In case you missed last week, the guest was Colton Chalker. Colton's a good friend of mine, and he dropped by the studio just to shoot the breeze. He talked about life and love and quite a few interesting topics, so check that out. It's available at ramblebytheriver.com or any podcast player. It's available everywhere. Go ahead and find it, and I hope you enjoy it. If you like what you hear, please do me a favor and leave me a review or rating or share it somewhere. So if you could do that, please do. It's very helpful, and I, I really appreciate it. Connect with Ramble by the River on social media. Search for Ramble by the River on Facebook and Instagram at Ramble by the River and on Twitter at Ramble River Pod. You can also find a lot of great Ramble by the River content, including the newest episodes, at RambleByTheRiver.com. How about a little bit of news and current events? So this first one, actually it's the only one this week, but I thought it was pretty crazy. Saudi Arabia, we know Saudi Arabia, they're the people who have all the money, right? They make all that uh, money from oil, billions of dollars a day I keep hearing, that seems like a lot. So they decided they're gonna build a city. They're gonna build a city and it's gonna be called The Line and uh, it's pretty impressive. There's some pretty bizarre things about it. It's like nothing we've ever seen before. It's like Blade Runner meets, no, it's like the fifth element meets the Great Wall of China. I know that's not a movie, it's a great wall, but you'll get it in a minute. Okay, we're just gonna play a clip, so check this out. A city of the future. There's Songdo in South Korea, the alphabet-funded Keyside project in Toronto, which was abandoned in May of last year. And both Singapore and Barcelona have tried to modernize with smart sensors. In January of 2021, Saudi Arabia announced plans for its own futuristic city called The Line. Instead of communities sprawling outward from a central location, they would be built vertically and arranged, well, in a line, hence the name. Even though the vision for the city stretches 170 kilometers, it would do away with cars entirely and instead be connected by high-speed rail that would travel the entire length in just 20 minutes and each individual community would be largely self-contained so that almost anything you could need, be it a school, a doctor, or a quick meal, would be only a five-minute walk away. The government says the line will run on 100% clean energy and make extensive use of sensors and AI to manage the city's services. And all of this is supposed to be nestled in the pristine natural landscape of the Tabuk province with minimal impact on the environment. Now the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has revealed grandiose renders of what the city will look like to match the grandiose plans. The line is envisioned as a giant glass and mirrored wall, 170 kilometers long, 200 meters wide, and 500 meters tall. That's taller than the Empire State Building. It would have greenery stretching along the top, an open air ventilation system to help maintain an ideal climate year round, and it would house up to nine million people. Now, the line is just one part of Saudi Arabia's controversial 
billion dollar Neo megacity project. For one, the so ooh, 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 ooh. pretty scary. That video is called Saudi Arabia's controversial megacity project, The Line. And let's see, it was posted by Engadget. So I can find that again and put a link in the video, in the notes, in the show notes. Oh, so that's scary. Over 100 miles long, many, many communities built in. That's just crazy. Imagine that. You, everything's taken care of, but you're basically in an ant farm. You have no autonomy, no agency. I don't think that sounds great. Oh, come on. I would definitely like to check that out, though. I think that'd be a fun visit. Maybe go on a little vacation, but that doesn't look like the country for me. Too scary. You have to give up too many of your rights. So that's all I've got for you today for news and current events. Let's move on. I gotta give a shout out to Wayne, the newest member of the Ram fam. Welcome, Wayne. Good to have you. Ramble by the River is made possible by the generous support of our listeners. You've probably found this episode through a free service like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and that's great. I highly encourage you to keep doing that. But did you know that there is a special place for fans to get the VIP experience for Ramble by the River? Patreon.com slash Ramble by the River is a one-stop shop for the fans of the podcast with behind-the-scenes show updates, merch drops, and early access to every episode before it hits Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You'll even get exclusive bonus episodes that you can't find anywhere else, including Ramble on the Road, the premium monthly podcast that is only available with a subscription to Patreon.com slash Ramble by the River. So if you're a fan of the show and you regularly listen to the free episodes, you're going to love the extras that come along with this membership. Every new Royal Rambler, which is the $9.99 tier, will get a free Ramble by the River t-shirt after their third month. Do yourself a favor, head over to patreon.com slash ramblebytheriver, or just click the subscribe link at the top of the page at ramblebytheriver.com. My guest today is a musician out of Portland, Oregon. It was a really great honor to have him in the studio on this podcast. I have not had a musical guest before, and this was something I've always wanted to do, so I'm really glad that he helped me make that happen. There's four songs in the episode, so you're going to hear all four of those. It's a really good podcast. I hope you guys enjoy it. You're going to get to hear about his journey from starting out as a singer at church in Wisconsin and then heading west and all the different endeavors he had to lead to ending up in Portland, where he started his solo career. And in between those places, he was the front man for a seven-piece jazz band, and he also has uh, appeared as a contestant on NBC's The Voice, and we talk about that a little bit. So it's a really good podcast. I hope you guys like it. Without further ado, please give it up for the immensely talented, yet surprisingly humble, Jacob Miller. I toss these guys on? Yeah, sure. Ooh, I, think I have these same headphones. 
Everyone has them. They're they're like really good deal for. <laughs> they really are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got these at my studio at home. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna clap so I can sync up my no yeah, yeah. video. Oh, <laughs> been there before. <sighs> All right, groovy. Oh, yeah, headphones. Oh, it's hot up here. The lights probably don't help too much. Yeah, I mean they're LEDs, so they're not too bad. But um, yeah, so uh, this is the first time I've had a musical guest. Oh, cool! So I'm excited about it because I've always loved music. I love musicians. I, I I'm very into art, but I'm not an artist myself. Okay. Uh, but I'm very much a, an appreciator of art, in particular music. Uh, so thank you for being here. It's, yeah, it's exciting pleasure. to have you. Thanks for asking me. Welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ramble by the River. I'm your host, Jeff Nesbitt, <clears throat> and I'm joined today in the studio by Jacob Miller. Jacob is a musician, and he's on tour right now, and he's going to be performing at Pickled Fish. Yeah, I'm actually playing. I played last night. I played today and tomorrow, but I'll be doing a West Coast tour from L.A. to uh, Canada in August, so those, we just announced that yesterday. So West Coast Tour, how many stops? Uh, it's a r relatively short tour for how much travel there actually is. We're only doing, I think, six or seven dates. I think it's San Diego, LA, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, and Victoria. Some pretty big cities. Yeah, yeah, so kind of, we, we're missing the bay, but um, it should be fun. I'm gonna be on the road with this guy, Hey Fitz, uh, from New York. He's a really good singer-songwriter as well. And so, yeah, we're just going to be in the car and cruising around the West Coast, playing our tunes, sharing bills together. And then after we do that tour, I'm going to be headed up to the San Juan Islands to do uh, artist residency on Orcas Island for about oh, a week nice. and a half. Have you ever been out there? Yeah, I go once a year, actually. Usually they host this festival called Dobe Fest on the east side of Orcas Island. And, uh, I played it years ago, and since COVID, they've done artist residencies as a um, kind of substitution for the festival. And so I've been fortunate enough to go up there the last few years. And you basically just spend a week on island, play a couple shows, and get to write and live in a little cabin up there. So, so they provide you, like, room and board. Yeah. And you just perform a few times. and Totally. That sounds really fun. It's magical. It's like one of my sacred spaces. I, I love the San Juan Islands, and it's always a real treat to go up there. So... Should is that kind of like a mix between vacation and work? Definitely. Uh, you're working. But. Yeah, because I think I'll be there for a week and a half total, but only playing, I think, three shows. So definitely a lot of time to enjoy the scenic, you know, the beauty. But um, also I'll probably be writing a lot. The last time I was up there, I like wrote a lot of music for an album. And it's cool. You can kind of utilize it for relaxation or creative kind of inspiration, I think. You bring anybody with you? Yeah, um, I usually bring one other musician with me who kind of does their own thing, and this time I'll be bringing my uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Harlan Silverman. He's a producer from L.A., and uh, we're working on a couple of songs together right now. We have been for the last few months. And so he's a, he's a classically trained cellist and a songwriter as well, and he does producing. But, um, yeah, he's going to come up and perform his own music, and then we'll probably be writing together, working on tunes and... And then I'll play. So nice. Yeah, nice. should be a good time. I always love going up there. It's just yeah. nice to kind of disconnect. I had never been up there until just about a year ago. I think 
maybe a little over a year ago. I went up there for just for a weekend with my wife. It's a beautiful place. And oh it's gosh. just right there. It's not very far away. Yeah, it's like the Pacific Northwest, like foliage and the trees and everything but on an island so yeah, even better somehow even better yeah yeah that the all the whole puget sound is just incredible just the views that i imagine you got out of there on the ferry and got to see it's just the whole experience yeah and i have so many great memories tied to like taking the ferry out to orcas because i think the first time i played the festival i, I mentioned dobe fest was like seven or eight years ago i was quite a bit younger and i was leading a seven-piece jazz band at the time and we like busked on the ferry and in the ferry line and played for all the people waiting in line. And there's just a lot of like fond memories associated with the whole experience. So, so seven years ago, how old are you? I'm 32. 32. Okay. Uh, we were checking out your music yesterday, my wife and I, and uh, we were trying to guess. I guessed 28 and she guessed 30. And uh, yeah, she, she wins. But um, <laughs> Yes, people are sometimes surprised that I'm 32. I, I get a lot of age range guesses you look like you must not be a drug addict or anyone who's like staying up all night partying and fighting no i'm not like uh definitely not like the drink hard rock and roll type I'm yeah more like singer uh, songwriters yeah i'm more like gentle. stoned in bed by 10 30 i mean you got a snake tattoo that's pretty badass thanks yeah i got that just for street cred so yeah <laughs> exclusively is there a story behind that no i i actually got a matching tattoo with my ex Oh. And so, uh, but luckily I've been able to disassociate the connection between the two and I just enjoy the aesthetic of the tattoo. That's a nice one. Thanks. American traditional. Yeah. Yeah. My buddy Isaac did it and uh, it was kind of on a whim, but sometimes it's just fun to take the plunge. Gotta have tattoos if you're going to be a rock star. I guess so. Yeah. I have a lot of them, but they're mostly concealed. So that's, you know, I gotta, gotta keep the... Keep the people guessing. That's right. <laughs> so speaking of rock, your music is not exactly rock and roll, but it's also not exactly folk. What what genre would you place yourself in? It's, I feel like kind of like an easy cop out, but I just usually tell people I'm a singer songwriter because I feel like it encapsulates like a wide range of musical genres from, I mean, generally, I think when people think of a singer songwriter, it's like finger picking folk songs mm -hmm. generally. Um, but I think just with my own history of playing as I mentioned the jazz band I led a, a large jazz band for quite a long time and I so was that like a when you say jazz band I immediately picture like a high school jazz band that is playing at football games oh no no that's a pet band yeah <laughs> oh, no sorry. no that's pet band but yeah so what is a jazz band seven piece what, what's yeah it? that could fall under a lot of different categories so it wasn't like modern jazz like bebop or something something like that it was more uh old kind of 1920s style inspired by like Early turn of the century, ragtime, blues, American traditional music, and uh, and like swing jazz. That's what I was gonna guess. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, when I was in my, I moved to Portland when I was nineteen from Wisconsin. I come from a really small town, about five hundred people in Wisconsin, and um, yeah, I got when I moved to Portland. I lived in a house with a bunch of like hitchhiking, traveling farmer kids who all played as well, banjo and guitar and stuff. And when I met them, they showed me just a lot of cool music I had never heard before, including like singing acts from the 20s, like the Boswell Sisters, um, and just old finger-picking jazz and like ragtime from piano transcribed to guitar, and just a lot of like styles I had never heard before. And with that music, since it's from so long ago, there's just such an infinite well of like lost recordings. And like you hear like, 
Louis Armstrong and like Ella Fitzgerald and like these classics that everyone's heard a million times, but there's so much regional and local band music that like a lot of people have just never heard. Probably and, even in the business, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Cause it's also a lot of people don't care about that kind of music. So there's so much new stuff coming out all the time. You yeah. can barely keep up with it. It's probably hard to dig through the archives. Totally. But when you do, it can be really rewarding. And I feel like that was such a musical education. I'm self-taught um, on guitar and voice and stuff. And so I feel like those were kind of formative years of learning music that heavily influenced what I do now. So it's like I got really into finger picking, ragtime, jazz and that kind of thing. I led the jazz band for a long time. And even though I do more contemporary, I would say folk music now, like singer songwriter, those things all have heavily influenced. I think my style of playing and my approach and less is more and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I think I usually, when people ask, like, name an artist that you sound like, I really like Paul Simon, and he heavily influences my songwriting, and so that's, like, the correlation I give people. That's a pretty good one to be a role model. Yeah. Paul Simon's amazing. Excellent. Yeah, true, true song craftsmanship. So not a Garfunkel man, huh? You know, I'm not a big art He's a whiner. Yeah, and also, yeah, I actually read... Paul Simon, he, uh, I think Roger Waters wrote the biography. He interviewed Paul Simon for like 300 hours, which Paul Simon, I guess, never had let someone interview him for his life story to write a book. And it's really funny, just like, he's not the greatest guy. Like, or at least <laughs> I put him on a pedestal for so long, which I still do because he's such a phenomenal songwriter and, and storyteller. But, you know, he's kind of like some of his character traits are maybe somewhat questionable. But it's funny reading the book to see just like how Art Garfunkel was infused in the whole, like, obviously Simon and Garfunkel, but then afterwards and how they kind of fell apart because the book kind of just frames it as like he was like a failed actor <laughs> after everything was said and done, which mm-hmm. is kind of funny. But. Yeah, because he's still like part of Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, and he obviously, Paul wrote all the songs. And so as as incredible and important as his voice was as part of that equation, I definitely like Paul's oh, yeah. stuff more. So. You think Garfunkel could have just been anyone with a voice? Not necessarily. I think they had a I think they had a special connection and stuff, but yeah, not to belittle his contributions, but I definitely like Paul's stuff more. So Do you like him better with uh, the Black Mombazo? Yeah, I love That's the Graceland stuff. stuff or like the whole Graceland record and all of that. All of that African music is so cool. I love the infusions of these world rhythms. And I feel like, yeah, he's a great example of taking something that was very, I guess, just not really known about or on the mainstream whatsoever. And then like, you know, introducing them to like mainstream Grammy audience, you know. Essentially opened up a whole new genre of music in this country. Yeah. Before that, there was no world music. Totally. And allowed for bands like that to actually have recording and touring careers which is is really cool yeah i saw there's some really cool footage of paul simon recording graceland in south africa in the 80s and they interview the band and stuff and uh the band leader for yeah lady smith black Mombazo, uh greatest name of all time yeah they were talking about how paul because it was during apartheid too and that paul simon was the first white man that he had ever hugged and it just like when you see them in the studio it seems like a really cool like jovial community kind of experience that they had and like creating the music and i've heard some questionable things about how he paid the artist so i don't really know about the whole picture but the connectivity over the genres of music is really inspiring and cool to see how you confuse something that's very not popular and 
just honor your inspiration and kind of roll with it. Yeah. Well, do you want to play us a song and then yeah. we'll uh, we'll go we'll ask a few more questions? Here, I'm going to turn my mic over towards you. So okay, cool. Really I can even go like this too. Sound. I want to get your voice in there too. If you check, are. check. Yeah. Yeah, so I released a record um, a couple months ago called uh, Around My Head. And I can talk about that more, but this is uh, the first single that I released off this uh, this album. It's called Leave, and it's actually about uh, driving to the coast. So what what appropriate, you know, more appropriate setting. We took a trip to the shoreline. Drive from the city to get away Coastal towns and freight trains Roll by with the day With the day We didn't pack back we just had to get away From the sounds and from the screen Oh, I wanna go, babe I wanna go, babe I wanna leave I wanna leave Let me take you for a ride Cheap diner, smoke outside We've no particular place to be We can drive into the night Take a walk on the wild side It's you and me Let's leave Let's leave Let's leave Let's at the roadside as the mist rolls down the gorge among the trees hear the wind whisper blow I'm reaching my hand out to yours for it to leave Let me take you for a ride 
Cheap diners smoke outside. We've no particular place to be. We can drive into the night, take a walk on the wild side. It's you and me. Let's sleep. Let's sleep. Let's sleep. Let's sleep. That was great. Thank you so much. Oh, that was so cool. That was exciting. That made this feel like a real podcast. <laughs> Music for the first time. I was like, uh, that's definitely the prettiest thing I've ever recorded. Oh, thank you. That sounded beautiful, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I I wrote the tune about a year, I guess, well, wow. I recorded the record two years ago, so a little before then. But a lot of the tunes I write are kind of about being intentional with the people you love and your time. And I just think something I talk about often at shows is just how easy it is in the modern age to feel disconnected from people when we're so connected to what people want to be perceived as, I guess. Yeah. Just with social media and, you know, your phone's constantly... I was listening to this podcast yesterday actually talking about how our phones used to be like our assistants and help us and now they're like our bosses because they're like freak out about this yeah look at this right now and it's just kind of funny how well it's not funny it's it's terrifying and sad bit concerning yeah how how yeah how we gravitate towards that and anyways this song and many of my others is about yeah being being intentional with your time and especially in that with the people you love and it's just so easy to make excuses for all of the shit that actually matters you know when we're doom scrolling yeah you know constantly in panic mode totally so anyways looking for reasons to freak out exactly so that's kind of what that that tune's about it has a very smooth vibe that just kind of like brings up feelings of traveling and, and trying to appreciate the small things in life yeah kind of like trying to notice maybe the more minute and nuanced parts of existing in a day. Yeah, because if you spend all your time going from one chaotic, you know, panic to the next, when do you ever have time to stop and smell the roses? Exactly, yeah. That's why we're here. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it is funny just how easy it is to be distracted with all of those things. So, yeah. And it's been really nice to even just be on the coast. We got I got in yesterday. I'm here with my, my partner. And uh, yeah, it's been nice to just... Kind of be out of the city too. For oh, I bet. Days. Yeah. Um, I want to check the camera really quickly, and then I would. I have a, some questions about um, just well, lots. But I want to know about your writing process yeah. and how you actually start out to making a song. But I'm gonna check the camera. Really yeah, by quick. all means. Yeah, I think the space was originally supposed to be a lofted bed. Oh, really? An apartment. You've done a great job. Did you paint this yourself? Yeah. It looks great, and the sign is super professional. Do you, so I'm assuming you post the video as well? Um, this, so I'm just trying to get my feet wet on YouTube. So I originally started the show with the intention of making it on YouTube. 
And then I quickly realized that it's so much work to post video. And yeah, and so, edit and color grade yeah, and all this stuff. Yeah, all no. of it. It really and is a tremendous amount of work. This is technically a hobby for me because I have a, another job. And uh, so I cut the video per, uh, component of the show. And it's been just audio for 75 episodes. Nice. But, yeah, I saw um, you have a lot of episodes. Yeah, I try, I did one a week. I did 55 the first year. And then I took a, I've taken a couple breaks this year so far. But... They add up pretty fast if you try yeah, to bust out one a it. week. It's it's pretty. And during easy. pandemic, weeks go pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, the I I do uh, so I'm a vegetation management person. So oh, cool. for noxious weed law, <laughs> which is is kind of a funny thing that that people don't even know that it is a, is a thing it, at all. It makes sense that but, it exists. It seems like an important job. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I hate busting balls. It's yeah. the worst part of the job. Yeah, it's, but, it's yeah. confrontation isn't my favorite. I hate it. I can't stand it's it. It's necessary sometimes, but you know, a lot of the time, not my favorite. But it's just not very pleasant. But yeah. this is so much better. It's the exact opposite. It's yeah, this like is trying to connect with people rather than trying to like reprimand them. Yes. Yeah. So I like this a lot better, but it doesn't get to be prioritized as far as working hours go. Yeah. So I mean, uh, you know, I'm always in a hurry, but. Um, my question is, what is your process for writing a song? Because I think there are a lot of people out there who feel like that artistic drive, but they just don't even know where to begin. And you said you are self-taught, so you clearly found a way to do it because your music is very professional. It, com- it comes off as very much like... I- I've been listening to quite a few artists lately because of uh, looking for people to interview for this podcast. Sure. And you're one of the better artists that I have come across that, that have been within the, the realm of possibility for me to get in here. Sure. Actually, you were the best. You were oh, the best. Thanks. <laughs> um, it's, it's been fun to listen to. So what, what's your process? Honestly, it's changed so much throughout the years. Um, How did it start in the beginning? Yeah, so I grew up in a really tight-knit Catholic community in my small town. I'm from a town of about 500. It's called Eden, Wisconsin. It's in central east Wisconsin. And uh, I grew up singing in the church. Um, I don't practice at all anymore or anything, but I definitely feel like my musical first introduction to music was through singing in the choir. So common. Yeah, very common, totally, especially in America. (laughs) But um, yeah, I sang in the church. And then when I was um, about 12, my aunt, who was actually the choir director for the church, uh, gave me my first guitar because she had played. And she taught me a couple cowboy chords. um, and And what's a cowboy chord? Just like uh, C, G, D, kind of like the the basic. The, Old style the, Western yeah, the, songs. The, or... the formative, just like basic chords, not barred chords, open chords. Um, and then I kind of took it and rolled and rolled with it. And throughout high school, I was like kind of a nerd and awkward. I had friends and, you know, social circles, but I did not. I, I went to a private Catholic high school for my first two or three years of high school. And I was like the one guy in my entire grade that didn't wear a jersey on game days to kind of let you know how yeah that was like my i felt like were you on the team no i just okay i was so like you the only person the one who on wasn't an athlete yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i was in the pep band as we were yeah, talking i played trumpet in school but um anyways all that to say music was definitely i viewed from a young age as an avenue of expression when i didn't necessarily have the words to communicate what i was going through you've always been drawn to creative stuff yeah and i think music has always yeah been that outlet for me to 
honestly express um, or emote. What did your parents do? Just curi- out of curiosity. My my dad's a mechanic, and my uh, mom's a, a postmaster. She runs a post office in Wisconsin. So cool. very, uh, yeah, very salt of the earth people. Yes, they are hardworking government type folk. Um, but yeah, uh, and you know, obviously, when you're young, you're learning music, and I wanted to like play pop songs on the radio and like top 40 hits. And then as I got older, especially when I moved to Portland and got into jazz and stuff, um, yeah, I just explored music with new people and I moved to the city not knowing anyone. So I got to collaborate with other musicians and with that band, we played on the street all the time to make money. That was kind of how we how we started gigging was just on the sidewalks and at festivals and street fairs and that kind of thing. And in that band, I wrote most of the music myself, spent a lot of time on the porch just smoking cigarettes and picking guitar and drinking too much coffee and uh, collaboratively writing with some of the band members. But I've always pretty much written by myself. Um, and that process has changed. Generally speaking, I kind of just start playing and picking and I'll think of a melody and then I'll start singing words over that melody and just like let it unravel and happen. Um, I actually just this past week led a seven-day songwriting challenge with some friends where we, uh, every day for seven days, you have to write a new song with no um, riffs or anything in mind from previous ideas. And so uh, you're given a prompt, um, for example, like write a song with a one-word chorus hook. And then by the end of the day, you need to write and record the song and upload it to a SoundCloud that we all have access to. And then we like kind of support each other. And we're like, oh, that was that chorus was really cool. Or like, I like what you did here with this transition into the bridge. And that sounds fun. Yeah, it's kind of like a support group for songwriters, which is really cool. Um, Do you find that putting those kind of parameters on the activity boosts your creativity? Deadlines help me. Yes, because I do co-write with friends as well. And um I'll have friends reach out and be like, hey, can you write a verse or two for this song? And I can usually do it in 20 minutes. But when I write a song for myself, I feel like I'm a bit too precious with it sometimes. And I have a hard time just committing to an idea. You spend half an hour on one word. Or like three months, oh, like wow. on a verse or uh-huh. something like that, because it's just maybe not up to my standard of what I think is good enough or sophisticated enough. Um, How do you know? It just when it feels right? I think when it portrays the story in a way that I feel like really proud of, that's when I kind of am able to uh, allow it to be, you know. But with the songwriting challenge, it's actually been a really great exercise in not being precious um, or too precious rather with an idea because you don't really have enough time to think about how it's all the ways that this one thing is wrong. It's more like okay, this works, I'm going to move on to the next part of the song and then I can go back to this verse. Because you don't have time to be a perfectionist. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's funny because when you do that, I feel like when you trust yourself more and kind of roll with it, it might not be the most prolific or sophisticated, but actually sometimes it can be way more honest because it's truly how you're in real time feeling about it and, and perceiving it. And so it's cool doing the exercise too. I did it with three or four other friends and... um all of them have different writing styles. So one friend would take the prompt and write down seven ideas of how he could tell a different story with that prompt. And then he would spiderweb those with words and descriptive words and other things that he wanted to include, or maybe like a funny anecdote that he wanted to include. And so it's, yeah, it's really... Mind mapping. Yeah, exactly. Which is not my style at all. But um, yeah, it's funny. I feel like 
there's kind of an ebb and flow. And generally speaking, I guess I kind of answer the question right away and saying, I'll play some chords. And if I think of a melody, I'll start singing different words and syncopated syllables over them to see what fits well. But it kind of changes. That's generally how I approach it. But sometimes I will write down a whole story and be like, how can I express this through music? Mm -hmm. That was exactly what I was hoping you, I mean, just that was the answer I was looking for, that there is lots of different ways and that it's not always. There's no one way. Yeah. Yeah, There's no wrong way to eat a Reese's. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All those commercials back (laughs) then. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I actually got um, asked to go to New York this past December and I led a two-week songwriting workshop at this school in Chelsea. Um, for seventh and eighth graders. And my biggest takeaway from the workshop with all these kids was there's there's not one way to write a song. There's infinite ways. You do you can, like working with kids? I do. Teaching I, kids? Yeah, I do. I um, usually do one-on-one lessons when I have taught in, in those kind of like education scenarios. But this was one of my first times teaching group. And it was like terrifying, but also really fun and rewarding. So it was it was a cool experience. How'd you get involved with that? During the pandemic, uh, about two years ago, I was on The Voice on NBC, and um, one of the teachers, Lila Pollock, uh, at this school, she's a really talented teacher and violin violinist, she had reached out to um, my buddy Eric, who helps me kind of run things, and um, just expressed that she saw me on the show, and she they have guest artists at their school sometimes. It's called uh, Avenues World School. And uh, they have locations all over uh, the world, Um, but this one's in New York. And I did some Zoom workshops um, where I would talk to kids about songwriting over the pandemic. So I did that a handful of times where the kids would perform their songs, and then I'd give them feedback and then give them some pointers and tell them how I'd approach things. And then a few months later, they had put in a formal request with the school to have me come out for two weeks and teach. So okay, cool. it was really cool. I, I, I had a great time. And like also after like a year and a half of the pandemic to go to New York and take the subway into the city every day, it was like, wow, yeah. living life again. <laughs> what, what had you, was that like, the, did you take the subway before that, before pre-COVID times? Um, well, I had only been to New York a handful of times prior. I had toured and played there that August. So August of 2021. Yeah. Um, and I rode the subway when I was there. I imagine a lot changed in that time. Yeah. Even in three months, I mean, with the pandemic and everything. And that was also during the Delta wave, I'm pretty sure. So it was really scary. That was the second to last wave that I still paid attention to. Yeah, totally. The Omicron was my last one. I'm like, I'm Maybe done. it was it was right before uh, Omicron, yeah, okay. or whatever it was. And There's uh, a new one right now that's supposedly yeah, the BA, ravaging. The BA5, yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. Terrifying, terrifying. I'm going on tour in August. I have not indulged in my fantasies of, of horrible things that could happen with this one. I'm just Probably like, eh, I'm best to just, yeah, let, just it, live life. Let, it, let it lie. Let it come, come what may. It is really interesting, though, because there's been such different seasons of COVID with like, cool, things seem a little more lax now. And like, we, where did we go? Um, we went on a week-long camping trip a couple weeks ago. And when we were on the camping trip, we didn't see a lot of people. So we were maskless the entire time. We're like, cool. Like, finally, this feels like things are getting back to normal. And then when we got back to Portland, it's like the new wave. It's like, are they masked up in Portland again? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which, I was there three months ago, probably. And it wasn't bad. We're talking about masks on this podcast. Yeah, no reason, to no talk reason. About it, yeah. I'm going to plug in the power cord on the phone. And then uh, do you want to do another song? Yeah, sure. Totally. Thank you. 
pretty cool. good. Cool. Good to go. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, so this is the title track off my new record. It's called Around My Head. And I wrote this when I was touring in Germany in late 2019. And it was kind of, I guess, I imagine the song is like fragments of letters to friends and lovers and stuff about just kind of nothing in particular. It just felt like a almost like stream of consciousness, little little notes to people that kind of formed into this song. So it's called Around My Head. I ask myself the question, but I do not know the answer, so I keep my mouth shut and continue guessing about the moons and the magnets that keep our world up and down. Keep these two feet to the ground to rest and to fight. Dodge the darkness as it flies around me now, around my head, around my head, around my head, around my head, around my head. Cause I missed your voice and I wanna know what's new Did you quit the band that you don't like in the morning? Do you ride still? Do you look for the moon between the trees? Well, you hum sweet melodies that take to wind Wash all this land of sin around me now, around my head, around my head, around my head, around my head, around my head. Thank you. This is fun. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. It's, I, well, I feel honored to be the first musical guest. So yeah, we've got two more next week. Cool. Who who, who are you getting? Um, Ned Heavenrich, who's in a band called the uh, um, Browns Meet Flats. Okay. And um, Rose Gerber and Sweet Relief is Rose Gerber is going to be here. Also. Are they local acts? Or? Uh, Ned is from from Browns Meet. And um, which is just like a tiny town out there on the Oregon coast. 
and then um or not on the coast exactly i don't know is it it's close it's sure. close, close to, to the coast oregon yeah and then um i'm not actually sure where rose gerber is from i think she might be local i don't know i haven't done the full research on her yet i don't know her i know ned he's actually my uh my wife's uncle oh cool yeah, he's cool he he traveled across the country and like uh hitchhiked and wrote a play about it a oh, musical wow. very <laughs> and, cool which i happened to go see like 15 years ago, long before I ever knew any of these people. Oh, wow. It was just like a community oh, theater thing. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And um, then once we got married, she's like, yeah, my uncle Ned, he actually wrote this play called Hitchin. And I was like, Hitchin? You're I like, saw Hitchin. <laughs> that's so fun. Well, that's a cool coincidence. Yeah, it was cool. Um, so you mentioned that you were on The Voice, which was, I imagine, a very big deal. Yeah. How'd that happen? Um, yeah, it was an interesting experience. Uh I received an email from one of their production assistants or it was someone from the production team asking if I'd audition for the show. Um, so you got recruited for The Voice. I did. That yes. must have been flattering. It was. I, it's funny because I um, had never seen the show in my life. and I. It's a good show. Yeah. I. It's not really my thing, you know, um, which is totally cool. It, a lot of people like the show. It's not to say I don't necessarily like the show, but it's just not something I would normally watch, you know? Like the whole musical comp... The idea of musical competition is just not in the same, you know, kind of like plane. That you never I, got into it, American Idol? I watched the first season when I was like 11 or something. Were you like a Tamira Gray fan or oh, Kelly Clarkson? Oh my God. Justin Guarini? Who was your who was your person? Justin had pretty good hair. Yeah, he did. Um, no, that's really funny. I don't even remember. I just remember they um, really monopolized on the poor singers. Yeah. That was really... That was the whole show. That was basically the entire show. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I received an email from the production team asking, they said they saw some videos of me online, asked if I'd audition. And I thought it was spam, so I actually never responded to the email. And then, like, a couple days or a week later, I received a second email from someone else on their production team. Hey, such and such from The Voice, we'd like you to audition. And my roommate at the time, uh, he's a really good friend of mine and, and colleague and co-writer, Charlie Porter. He's a Grammy-winning trumpet player and composer and super phenomenally talented dude. I told him and his partner, Tessa, who lived at the house with me about it, and uh, they both were like, come on, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it kind of thing. And I was very not wanting to, but just because it felt it felt like, um, not necessarily like I'd be selling out by any means, but it just didn't feel like it was in alignment with my like moral standing with music and the way that I tour and write and the communities that I am in and stuff. Were you worried that people were going to say that you sold out? Not necessarily that I sold out, but I think the perception of others was something that did come to mind immediately because I have been like a DIY gigging independent artist for over a decade. And so, yeah, I think naturally decisions like that come with repercussions. Yeah, because um, you can't go back. Once, yeah, once and I didn't want to be like the voice guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's just so far from what I want to be known as you know mm -hmm. but regardless i don't mean to talk shit because it was an incredibly positive experience with a, a lot of really nice people but so i um in a nutshell i did this audition in portland for for the voice and they gave me the paperwork they said hey you'll hear back from us in a month if we're interested and that year i released my first solo record after stopping my jazz band and so i was uh, doing a lot of touring like over six months of touring in 2019 this the latter half of of that year and I flew to the Midwest to start a tour, and um, I got a call 
the day before I started this tour, and it was someone from The Voice. Hey, congratulations! They're interested. We'd love to fly you out. And I was like, Oh, well, I'm about to start a month long Midwest tour, so I can't do it. They're like, well, if you have like even two days off, we'll red eye you. And I had two days off in Minneapolis. I was going to go to a friend's cabin and we were going to go fishing and go on, a, on their boat and stuff. I was like, well, I guess I can cancel my plans if you can get me back in time for this other gig. And so sure enough, they did. And I just viewed it as like, I'd go for two days and stay in a hotel in LA and vacation and meet some cool people. And so I went, I did the audition. It was at like seven in the morning. It was kind of treacherous. And, uh, I was in, they had two rooms, the yes and the no room. I was in the yes room and everyone's like, woo, yeah, oh my God, we made it. And I was like, oh my God, I've got this. I had like European tours planned that I had to cancel if I did take the show. And so there's, it was like just a confusing experience for me because I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted. But at the end of the day, I ended up canceling this Italy tour I had that was two weeks in order to film in, in October of that year for The Voice in LA. And, uh, Yeah, and I ended up, I think I made it through like three rounds and um, met some really incredible people. And it was, yeah, overall a really positive experience. It was not not nearly as like behind the scenes competitive as I had perceived that it, it would be. Mm-hmm. So More collaborative atmosphere than you expected? Yeah, like I met some of my closest friends doing the show and we would, you know, it's like a hundred musicians from across the country all staying in a hotel. So it's kind of like summer camp in its own right. I bet right. that's fun. Yeah, and like, you know, you, it's funny, like there was like, a social circle of like the country kids and then like some of the more like singer songwriters. And there was probably five or six people, um, that I met that we would stay in our hotel rooms and all like go in a circle and share songs that we were writing. And it did feel collaborative and very community oriented and supportive. It wasn't like, Oh my God, I'm worried that someone's going to be super cutthroat or something. Uh, did you feel like that experience improved your abilities? Like, did you improve because of that exposure? I think, so there were vocal coaches and that kind of thing. It was definitely, I learned a lot about the behind the scenes of television and the way that that uh, musically, honestly, doing my band leading for as many years as I did, I didn't feel like I walked away with a lot of new understanding about music or composing or charting songs or that kind of thing. I didn't yeah, I didn't feel like I walked away with new knowledge about actual music, but I did feel like I walked out with a deeper understanding of like how like the machine works. Okay, yeah. So all the parts that we as viewers don't see at all, because we're just seeing the music. It seems like it's all music focused, but it's a show. So oh, no, it's a yeah, show no. There's show. a cast of characters that play roles. Yeah. And it's, it's very... Are, yeah, it's very... There's an architect. Like, Was there a producer somewhere that was like... Actually, I don't. I don't. I haven't watched The Voice enough to know if this is the format. But a lot of reality shows they have like little in between bits where there's like people interacting, and they. It always feels like this is really very fake. This is staged. Like, like they, the interviews and stuff. Not the interviews, but more of like two people are having a conflict. Like so and so said this, and that, that. I'm talking more reality shows where it's like conflict based, like Real Housewives type stuff. Yeah, I've heard that. In my from what I've heard from friends, because I've had. It's funny because I literally didn't know anyone who did The Voice before. And then after I did The Voice, I met so many musicians that were like, I was on The Voice five years ago or whatever. Probably, and it's yeah. like a funny common thread. But And I've also had some friends that have done Idol now because those communities, <laughs> it's funny, just like those communities, I guess it happens. But um, my friend did Idol last year and I guess it was just really uh, quite not a great experience. I didn't know that show was still on the air. Yeah. So The Voice, I feel like I didn't 
sense any conflict. Obviously, you're competing to win, so there's that element. But there wasn't like, hey, I'm going to psych you out before you're about to go perform. Or, you know, like something where it's like mean stuff. sabotaging. But I heard um, from a friend that like they were on Idol and right before they were going to perform with someone early on in the competition, they said to him, they're like, what are you going to do if she forgets the words when you perform? Right before he went on stage. And it's just like, that just is mean-spirited. I, yeah. I, I don't know if that's 100% true, but if that is, it's just, that just feels, that that is the reason I didn't want to do the voice. That could have just been one dickhead. Who knows? Yeah, I have, I have no idea. Up. But regardless, it feels like it's Hollywood and, you know, yeah. like it is a hundred plus million dollar machine with thousands of people working. And, and look at the careers that it's produced. Totally. It's pretty impactful. And they've been doing it for 20 years. So it's yeah. like, obviously they have a formula that they're basing all of this stuff off of. So, yeah. But so for the people who watch The Voice, this is a big deal. You got the four chair turn. I had three. Three chair. Yeah, but it's still a big deal. Yeah. Okay, still. It was huge. still very, and I was the last person to go on my day too. Oh wow! It was it was like a fifteen hour shoot day. It was. It How was, did they choose that? Um, they, I I don't even know honestly. There's you know like a hundred artists, and I think they do the blind auditions over like a handful of days, and um, I think they just choose what they think is the most promising people the first two or three days. And then it's like whatever space is left on the teams, then they prioritize. I think I wasn't told this, but for my own perception, I think it does also have something to do with like the characters in their cast of musicians, like the country guy and the guy who's like dad died and like family tragedy. And it's, you know, like they utilize the trauma as character arcs for their cast like yeah. it's, it's reality television it's it's yeah. not uncommon it's not like they're the only show doing that but that definitely seemed to be a thing that i noticed that always pulls me out of it when uh like i don't not necessarily on the voice but any show where it's like i'm watching a show about a chef and then it's like this and it starts telling you all the terrible things that's happened to this chef i'm like i don't no, no, no. Just make the food. Yeah, but that is like how reality television works. It's I know. Like that's they what people drive it with the emotional element, which I guess it's a formula that's working, but sometimes it can feel disingenuous. It does. Because it's like monopolizing on a tragedy when exactly. it's like... I actually... Um, my father passed when I was five. Oh, and, so sorry. Um, no, it's okay. Thanks. Um, but I told them initially when I did the show, when they first signed me up, I was like, I will not talk about this on camera, not because I'm uncomfortable doing it, but I'm just not going to allow you guys to use that as a tool in my character. And they yeah. tried to a couple times and it was just like, they were respectful about it, but yeah, it's, it's like, that is gold. You know, yeah. that's, that's like that. I think that's also things like that is what separates people who make it far in the show sometimes because they need that like attachment to a character for the viewing audience yeah you can you can catch it early on too when they're like just when it's still all early people in the competition this applies to any reality competition show and they're like they selectively choose people to focus on and they're like telling more of their story than other people you're like oh well this person's going far yeah no you can you can tell in the beginning yeah i actually was never a fan of reality television um, but the last like couple weeks I've been watching Love Island with my girlfriend. Have you ever seen this show? It's, it's I, yeah, I'm familiar. It's completely absurd. Yeah. But, uh, we really like talking in British accents to each other and, uh, we're watching the UK version and it is, it is truly hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's absurdist. It's it, supposed it, to be it, absurd. It's, it's exactly what you expect. Yeah. But it's funny, like the tipping point, like I was always like no reality television for me. I don't understand why people enjoy it. And then it is just such a 
freaking train wreck. Yeah. That it's like, I can't look away. And so I'm like, well, now that I'm 25 episodes into Love Island, I guess I can see the appeal for some people. Yeah. <laughs> Those ones take it all the way to the limit. They're doing a Love Island US too. They're just, yeah, I'm pretty it, sure they're filming it now or it's, it's in really? production. Yeah, it's funny too because on Love Island, I don't, I, I I don't even need to. Yeah, actually, you know, I don't need to go on a tangent. <laughs> we could Love definitely Island. go into Love Island. <laughs> we it's don't fine. need to. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that was my voice experience um, and walking away. Um, yeah, I made some really great friendships. So, who was your celebrity coach? Uh, Nick Jonas. Oh, is he is he as nice as he seems? He actually is a really nice guy. Um, he seems legitimately like a kind person. He seems, yeah, no, he does. You know, it's funny because our time with the coaches is actually quite limited because there are so many contestants and they have hard curfews and all this different stuff. But um, yeah, and the, the handful of times that I did get to work and interact with him, and I met the Jonas Brothers too, which is hilarious because everyone was freaking out and I was like, I've never even heard a song by you guys before. <laughs> I haven't either. Yeah, but nice I guys. I don't know how they're so famous. I've known them for 10 years and I don't remember any of their music. They Well, they did all the Disney stuff and yeah, yeah no, they were like in... But like we were kids, right? At that time? I think we were teenagers, bro. How old are you? I'm 33. Okay, yeah. So we were teenagers when it was like more of like a youth, like we were tween, five years too late. Maybe exactly, yeah. exactly. Which I'm not mad. <laughs> yeah, like I never caught high school High School Musical. Same. That, no, was, yeah, that, that was, was too old. Yeah, same, same. But yeah, my partner's five years younger than I am, and yeah, she was, yeah, subjected to all this. But okay, so that makes sense. Yeah, but regardless, um, what was I even saying? Yeah, Nick Jonas. Um, was his wife there? No. <laughs> too bad. Yeah, I, I don't even know who his wife is. She's gorgeous <laughs> all right fair enough that's... she's she's an actress i think her name's like something chopra okay she's like i'm on i'm gonna pull up a picture you know it just just we have time well regardless you could keep talking it'll be worth it okay just... fair enough fair enough but yeah i met met nick and and that was cool and and also like yeah blake shelton and kelly clarkson and the other judges were nice i got to chat with them throughout the experience and um i got to meet james taylor um, when I was on The Voice, which, as someone who really appreciates like the American Songbook, and you know Paul Simon and Joni and all those like classic singer songwriters, like it was really cool to meet James Taylor. And like, he has one of my favorite vo- just vocal timbers. Yeah, his voice is so smooth. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So that was a really cool experience to meet him, and it was a surprise. We were the first. That lady. Oh yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. Well, that's the Hollywood couple right there. I mean, he's a pretty good-looking man. He, They should be together. Yeah, yeah. I think they're having a kid or something. Oh, good for them. Yeah. Shout out Jonas's. Yeah, little baby Jonas. But, um, but yeah, walking away from the experience, I am glad that I did it, which is, I wasn't sure how I'd feel like two years post, you know, making that decision. So. so what did it do for your career? Did you notice changes or was it pretty much the same after you came out? Well, it's funny that I get that question so often, like... What did you get out of it? Because that's like the whole point. I, it yeah, feels yeah. Like. It's like a stepping stone for yeah. people, which definitely like, uh, of course, my social media following grew and my audience grew. But it was interesting because my epi- my first episode aired the week COVID hit the United States. Oh, so people were watching. So people were watching it, but it was a really interesting plateau of exposure because it was like, all these people are supporting me and excited to watch it, but there's some other really way more important, terrifying shit going down in the world. And so I feel like leading up to The Voice, especially like as I had mentioned, I released a record that year previously in 2019. And in 2020 was when I did The Voice and my episode aired in March. 
Oh my God, right at the when beginning. The, literally like the couple days after the pandemic hit or maybe the couple days before. And I expected going into it, like, you know, I did a ton of touring, just finished recording an el- my album that I released uh, in February. And then in March is when my episodes aired. And it was like, yeah, I'm going to tour the world this year. I'm going to go to Japan and I'm going to go to Europe twice and I'm going to be all across the States and record a new album again. And And it was just like, you know, the pandemic and money and having to be home and you can't travel and you can't play gigs. And it, it really did put a damper on all of this upward momentum that I was kind of building. Yeah. Um, but I will say that I've been able to leverage that experience into other things now and and certainly people reach out and they're like hey we saw you on the voice can we hire you for this thing which again i don't want to necessarily be the voice guy but i think it does present an artist on a professional platform where you maybe see them with a more professional lens or like also people just get to see you sing under pressure and like yeah performing which is interesting yeah totally like i think over 9 million people watched my first episode or something like like live. That's enormous for network television. Yeah, and for me too as a singer-songwriter who is, you know, plays living room house shows and like I've played big venues and I've played small house shows and done everything in between. But yeah, that platform is something I had never experienced before, so it was like hey, you're about to go perform for like 10 million people. And it's, oh, okay, no pressure. <laughs> what, how do you handle that mentally? Do you try to block it out or do you like that feeling? I actually, so yeah, as I mentioned, I was the last person to go on the day that I did my blind audition. And so right before I went on, I was the last person. So the producer, a woman named Brittany, really amazingly kind woman, um, she came up to me and she's like, hey, so the judge or the coaches have like a hard curfew at 3.30 this afternoon and it was like 3.10 or something and she's like I don't know if you're going to get to perform today and I had already it would have already been like a 12 hour day for me filming day like you wake up at 3 and hair and makeup and cost you know all this stuff and uh, I grabbed her by the shoulders and I was like listen I, I have to go today I'm not going to do I'm not going to do this tomorrow basically and she was like okay I'll see what I can do and like five minutes later I was standing outside the doors ready to go on the stage and play and I have struggled with nerves before performing in the past, but especially prior to pandemic, I was gigging so much that I didn't really get nerves. Obviously, this particular situation is very specific. So, yeah, like you're performing in front of celebrity judges and like an audience and it's filmed and stuff. So I think there was like this initial like, oh, shit. And they're not just there to listen. They're there to judge you. Exactly. And so it was interesting, though, because as soon as the doors opened and I walked on stage... I just felt like a calm kind of wash over me and I just picked a point in the in the back of the room. I did not even look at the coaches at all until I was finished and I looked down and I was like, "Oh, three chair turns, great." <laughs> like I oh, you didn't, didn't even see no, it. No, I didn't. That might mess you up, huh? If you Yeah, do, I just wanted to focus on performing and I did a Dylan song, uh, "The Times Are a Change," in which uh, felt great song. felt really appropriate just with every the political climate and everything. And so, yeah, I wanted to like perform the song um authentically and like have my attention focused on that so that was kind of my approach going into it but it's funny now like after the pandemic and not gigging a lot in a live setting there have been a couple gigs where I'll get a little nervous before going on stage and uh I just try to like remember that performance where I'm like remember that time that you like had to go on national television (laughs) yeah this is way less scary than that so try to ground myself a little bit do you like the the intimacy of a smaller room? Yes. Living, yeah, like 
house shows are probably some of my favorite, like a listening room style. I just did a Midwest tour in May with uh, two friends of mine. They accompanied me on cello and violin. And um, yeah, my favorite show we played was in Ann Arbor. It was just a house show with like 40 people just sitting in chairs. And, you know, we just play and it's dead quiet in there. And it's so intimate and connective that like, Maybe the, it's, maybe the audience isn't necessarily like collaborating with the artist, but it just feels like there's nothing in between the artist and the listener, yeah. which I really enjoy because then you can read a room and be like, oh, I'm not actually not going to play this song next. I'm going to play this cover that just feels really right mm-hmm. right now. And it's just, it's a different if it, style of performing and environment for that, I think. Do you like doing covers? Uh, I've had a kind of an interesting relationship with doing covers. I do play some covers and I played a lot of old jazz music as well. So like, that's cool. But as far as like contemporary covers, I really don't. I imagine that's something that early in your musical life is probably a lot more common because it's like you first you play the songs of the people you like and then you start to make your own. Yeah. And you learn from those songs and you take bits and pieces that you like and and apply it to your own music. So yeah, I've been, even being on The Voice, like when I did my blind, they asked me like, do you do a lot of covers? And I was like, I almost I almost try to do no covers whatsoever because I want to write my own music and be known for my own music. Like mm-hmm. there is something to be said for playing a really great cover. And I, I love that. Like, I mean, sometimes they're better than the original or they become more famous than the original. I know, yeah. And that is a really cool thing when that does happen. But yeah. Like a bunch of Elvis songs that that happened with like, he didn't write his own song. Oh, no. Almost he stole all, all of his music from black people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, like almost exclusively. Mm-hmm. It's really sad. Yeah. But, but Sorry, yeah. Big Mama Thornton. Yeah. And yeah, so many people. But it, yeah, it's cool. I, I think my relationship with the covers has kind of shifted in the last year or two where I feel a little bit more comfortable doing. Like, I guess I don't feel uncomfortable. But again, if I had my preference, I'd rather be playing original music for people listening to me because that's going to give them a unique experience than playing like wagon wheel yeah you know you know whatever especially because like you're professional this is your job like yeah and i pride myself on like being a songwriter Mm -hmm. you know i think as much as i like you know people could perceive me as a guitarist or a vocalist i do really pride myself like on being a songwriter so that's important what do you find the most fun musically like just like the people listening or watching aside, what it just in your own heart and your own experience, what's the most fun music to make? I think it's kind of mood dependent. Um, I mean, I just, I love to pick and play and come up with new stuff. Like there is no better feeling than writing a song that you just feel so good about because you're making something from nothing, you know, and it's yours and you're telling a story through your own lens and your own voice and then playing something that's so sacred and intimate and close to you for an audience and seeing people really connect with that or come up to you afterwards and say like I really found myself in the lyrics of that song and I you know left the church when I was this age and whatever like it's cool to have your story be relatable to someone else and for someone else to find solace in a way that you're expressing and emoting. Absolutely. So that's probably one of my greatest takeaways from music. Um, Yeah, just... Being able to connect. Being able to connect with people. Yeah, it's really special. So I'd say it's the most special thing that we do is connecting with other humans. And it's... Probably the most meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no such thing as a human 
in isolation, just one that doesn't exist. We're, we're here to connect. Mm-hmm. We're all just one big thing together. And I think that's what's so special about all art is like that ability to transcend time and space and experience something with another human simultaneously across space and time. It's, it's an amazing thing if you really think about it. So you're basically a wizard. Wow. I'll you know? take it. <laughs> I will take it. Um, yeah, I, I, I like that whole saying, like, no one reads the same book. You know, I feel like it applies with music, too, in the sense of... Yeah, you bring stuff to it when you listen. Uh, yeah, exactly. And you, ever, no one lives the same life, necessarily. And so, yeah, to, to have each and every person have their own interpretation and perspective of, like, something they've just heard, it can, it can mean and provide and do a, a number of things for people, you know? How's your relationship to the inner self-critic? Oh, gosh. It... It ebbs and flows. It's interesting. Like, I think imposter syndrome is something that people in all fields of work deal with. And the more that I do, I have so many friends naturally that are musicians and do it full time and tour and stuff. And a common thread I definitely hear between us is, yeah, that feeling of not really knowing what you're doing or if it's good enough or if you're, you know, reaping the rewards that the work you've done entails and yeah I don't know there are good days and bad days um but I think being gentle on yourself is important um and also talking to yourself like you would talk to a friend is really important that's a great piece of advice that I've gotten in the last couple months from a friend actually because you know if a friend is gonna come to you and and tell you how bad they feel about themselves you wouldn't be like you're not doing enough or this isn't whatever it's like maybe if you didn't suck so bad yeah exactly and it's like why don't we treat ourselves with that kind of tenderness yes it's really rare to actually see people do that naturally and not having to remind themselves or do a check-in or something so yeah it's almost like people are just so afraid that somebody else in the world is going to say these things so just like i'll just beat them to the punch just yeah tell, tell myself i'm bad yeah i think just that insecurity is really easily projected and um also i think just naturally in the age that we live in with social media like it's basic especially like instagram and stuff it's basically designed to compare whatever you're doing to you you follow people who do stuff generally that's similar to you i follow a lot of musicians and it's you know it's easy to compare your accolades and and what you've got going on and the amount of work you have and whatever your your success with others but it's it's all relative and also however you're perceiving you know however you're trying to perceive your put yourself out there on the internet is such a one-sided view like yeah. like it's it's so not human instagram is such a load of horse crap you know and it's like, so easy to just uh talk crap about people like so many people that's all they do yeah yeah you troll people and and whatever when it's like let's just support each other i think anybody who makes anything creatively uh, like the chances that they're out there trolling people is, are so small yeah. Because they understand how hard it is to, to put yourself out there in any way. It's easier to be a critic than to make something. So, so much like, easier. Yeah, and it's, you know, in the age, especially with COVID and the pandemic of isolation, it's like, yeah, it's easy to hide behind a keyboard because you don't have a face. Yeah. And you can just, yeah, say mean things to people. And and it's not like you're going to run out of material. You There's so much 
garbage out there that it's it's easy to find stuff to criticize. But why? Like, yeah, it's, why not find something you like and talk about how good it is? Totally, God, yeah, the positivity. Focus is on what you like and avoid the stuff you don't like. By just people who do criticize others constantly, it's uh, all it is is just bringing more of that into their life anyway. But you know, you live and you learn. Totally. Uh, you want to do another song? Yeah, sure. Um, I kind of actually want to do this song that I wrote at the songwriting challenge. I haven't played it live. Uh, so I'm going to grab my phone so I can get the lyrics. Cause Perfect. Hopefully I fully remember it, but it just feels like a good opportunity to try something new out, you know? That's awesome. Yeah, okay. So the prompt for this song was uh, being under the influence of anything of your choice. So that's that's what this song's about. I forgot what I was gonna say. Probably doesn't matter anyways It's funny how some things just come and go Clouds that look like creatures, life's little woes But I don't need to drown my fear In cocaine, pills, or beer I just need you by my side We'll go on a little ride Let's get high It gets me by It's true I wanna stay high with you I can't help but wonder why we're here The cosmos tends to make me feel inferior Constantly humbled by the songs it sings The daylight dancing round you and the joy you bring I'd like to lay my worries down Fancy if you'd like to come around I just need you by my side We'll go on a little ride Let's get high It gets me by It's true I want to stay high with you. 
It's true. I wanna stay high with you. That's beautiful. Thank you. I like that. Thanks. It made me wonder if you get high for real. I I enjoy smoking marijuana. Yes, it's good stuff. It is. Yeah, and I mean. Uh, in Oregon, they basically pay you to take it from the shops. It's so cheap. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Coming from Wisconsin, as I've mentioned, um, drinking alcohol is so normalized there. Mm-hmm. It's like deeply part of the culture. And uh, I mean, like I enjoy a drink every now and again, but it's just so destructive. It doesn't make you feel good. No, I, I don't like waking up being hungover or even having two drinks and waking up and it just feels obviously, you know, there are their own repercussions with smoking marijuana, but like it long-term just feels, I just enjoy it more. It yeah. just, it's, it's a way to relax. It's a way to, you know, heighten an experience and it just, yeah, it feels long-term wise, like a lot less detrimental to my health and like just soul-crushing amounts of alcohol in my liver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I imagine that you're getting offered drinks regularly, because especially Well, being a musician is like stuff. the only job you get paid to drink. Yeah. <laughs> Besides maybe like a spirit distiller or something, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's funny, the culture with rock, like, not rock, but just musicians in general, I think there is such a like, yeah, that common thread of, of drinking and like even alcoholism and stuff. Mm-hmm. When I think too, with like the modern age, especially in at least my experience with like the singer songwriter scenes, instead of talking about like, if you're talking about longevity for touring, especially in the COVID age, it's like, I can't imagine drinking like six drinks a night and like going to bed in my van and waking up disheveled and hungover driving to the next city and do it's like, that sounds horrible to me. Yeah. Depressing. It's more common now. Instead of like, I threw a TV out the hotel window. It's like, what supplements are you taking? Are you are you taking any tinctures while you're on the tour? Uh-huh. And it's like, what? Yeah, like what? How are you, are you staying healthy? It, like that's do act- you meditate? That's like more common conversations I have with touring artists now than I think like talking about partying in yeah. any form. So yeah, do you meditate? That's actually a good question. I don't often. I do yoga every day. Mm. Um, which has been really good. I actually started doing that in the beginning of the year. And that's it just, almost like physical meditation. It is. It's, and it's God, kind of it's, similar. It's kind of amazing how good you feel. But I don't want to say that I do meditate because I do it so infrequently. But there are times um, we have an office room that we use for like my studio and, and you know, just reading and stuff. And we kind of do, me and my partner do yoga in there and then also meditate sometimes as well. So my friend Harlan that I mentioned earlier does uh, the cello music and he does a lot of meditation specific music. Mm. So it's been really inspiring to kind of uh, befriend him in the last year and a half. And he meditates every day and, and does that kind of stuff. And it really can make such a huge difference in highly stressful situations just to like bring yourself back to earth. You know, it's a good skill to have in your back pocket. Yeah. Just- even just breathing techniques yeah. of grounding and I think they should teach those in kindergarten breathing techniques of grounding and how to get yourself back into parasympathetic when you're sympathetic I fully support this yeah we're not given those skills as kids when we no. really should be but we can do that as parents also like yeah maybe they should teach like how to manage your finances in school too there's a few there's things pretty- they could add they could add a few things <laughs> how to pay your taxes would be good like, yeah you know Anything that would like help us in the real world. <laughs> yeah. Our school system is set up to build 
good factory workers. Like that's the industrial, you know, the industrial education system was for a working class. Yeah. yeah. Well, no. Yeah. Gosh. It doesn't serve us the same way it used to. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. It's it's kind of scary stuff. I'm curious about your religious history, and and I caught a couple comments in there that made it seem like you maybe have had a falling out from what you the church or religious group that you may have been a part of as a kid. Is that true? Yeah, I grew up Catholic and um, my family did go to church every Sunday. We were involved. It was a very small community. So naturally, you know, like if you go to church every Sunday, you know everyone and you're you're involved. But um, we were never like fire and brimstone Catholics where it's like you're but you know, they still I had to go to confirmation classes when I was 17. I hated and I stopped believing in that type of deity when I was probably 12 or 13, but I went to Catholic school until I was 17. And so Did that I, build resentment. Definitely. And it was also, I think I was kind of like the kid, even though I was very nice and well-mannered, at least in my memory, <laughs> um, I think I was kind of like the combative student that was always questioning, like, hey, it appears we are skipping the chapter about, uh, God asking this community to kill a village with a donkey jawbone to get oh, to Oh, Samson. Yeah, you know, like... I just told that story. Oh, really? That's yeah. funny. Yeah, I, I remember, like, kind of calling out my teachers and being like, it seems like we're really picking and choosing here. This strong guy just killed 200 Philistines with a jawbone of an ass. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's the... I see. I don't know the story verbatim like you do, but... Um, One of my faves. Yeah. It just... Yeah, it feels so imposing. Um, and I think I don't want to just, you know, like be negative by any means, but forcing your beliefs on, like, believe in whatever you want to believe. I have nothing but respect for people having belief systems to get them through life and to lean on to make it through. We need something. This, this, you know, the crushing weight of existence. I totally respect that. But it's when you're asking people, or not asking, but telling them to believe what you believe that I, I find a problem with that. So well said. And so naturally... I think when I grew away from the, and we stopped going to church when I was probably in like middle school or in high school, because I was going to church in the high school that I was going to, but I was very vocal about my disbelief in the things and my parents were pretty supportive. I think they were kind of just indifferent where they were like, yeah, like, you know, read books that you want to read. I was reading books on atheism when I was like 13. Like Dawkins? Yeah. Yeah. A number of, of publications, but, um, but yeah, I, it was just something that I felt a lot of like resentment and anger towards, and I think it's in, in at least in my experience, and I know there are so many different types of churches and communities that like take the doctrine and, and utilize it in their own ways. But just that idea of like it, like these systems of guilt in which we owe the church something money, piss, yeah, like literally money that's, life. that's tax free. Yeah, it really hurts me because I know how much it hurts society as a whole. Yeah. And so that, yeah, really disturbs me, to be honest. I share that very similar view. I recognize the value. I grew up in the church. I I, I wouldn't even say that I specifically left the church at any time, but I like I still believe in God, I, but I just don't believe in the human structures that purport to channel him to you. Yeah, and also like a white guy in in a robe. Yeah, when it's like there it's are no white people in the Bible. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, it yeah. it all just feels so contradicting. And again, I don't mean to say that in a way that it generalizes anyone who believes in a Christian God or Western whatever. It's more just the people who utilize it for 
division and hate and self-serving purposes that just it it bothers me I'd... there's a lot of control structures baked in yeah that were necessary at certain times to control people because the church has always been so powerful yeah like they were essentially a, a form of government absolutely and so these structures were, were necessary to be able to extract power from people yeah and now we live in a completely different system but a lot of those structures are still in place and people just continue to accept them and to me, it's just like, wait, what? I feel like at this point, too, especially just like post-boomer, like there's a lot of generational trauma surrounding religion and like especially in the Midwest, just, yeah, like if you don't abide by the rules, then you're kind of excommunicated. And it just, it's so, I mean, anti-Christian. Yeah. Like, I've been told by friends that are really devout Christians. One of my best friends I met on The Voice, Thunderstorm, he got like third on the show. Um, his name is Thunderstorm? Yeah, Thunderstorm Artis. He's, okay. he's a Hawaiian dude. Thunderstorm is his first name. Yeah. He just had his first baby to his son, Ezekiel. But um, anyways, uh, what am I saying here? He He told me that in his eyes, being a good Christian means being Christ-like which means like, you know, extending your hand to others, helping your neighbor, doing Even what you can. Even if they're can. not like you. Which, yeah, which to me, reading the news headlines about the division and just like homophobic nature of all this stuff, it's just, it's so completely contradicting to what you're trying to preach. And I just, I can't respect that. No, I think Jesus Christ himself would have been pro-choice. That is, yeah. I, I mean, mean I'm, I'm sure a lot of people say. would disagree with you, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't think he would have been for the government telling people what to do with their bodies. Well, also it's hilarious. Well, not hilarious. It's, it, it, I kind of think it shows like where we're at, but imagine if there was actually a second coming of Christ, people would just be like, oh, this homeless moron. Yeah. Like I really truly believe that people would react in that way. I agree. It's, it's, it very much shows the state of things and how they perpetuated just with this division when it's like allow people to believe what they want to believe, respect that with the same respect you expect from others for your own beliefs. And again, I don't say this to generalize for all people who believe in a God or a Western God or whatever. It's more just like these very, like the roots of this division feel, yeah, really contradicting to the doctrine. I, I think so too. Yeah. And it's it's not helpful. It's not helpful to anybody except for like people in very high positions of power within those organizations. But mm -hmm. I don't know. I know a lot of people who are still very much tied in and, and believe that whole system is, is going to get them to heaven. And it's sad to me because it's like you're you're living in fear. like, And this fear has been put in your head by the people who you are like thinking are giving you your salvation. But it's not a, it's not a good way to live your life. It feels almost like capitalistic retirement where it's like, hey, work your whole life and marry yourself to this company that doesn't care about you. And then for five years when you can't do anything physically, you'll have money to do whatever you want. Yeah. That's like heaven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, like abide by all these rules and give a bunch of money. Anyways, I don't mean to just... Well, I'm not trying to bash Trash anybody. talk by any yeah. means. Because again, I also want to iterate that or reiterate that like I have met many people that are involved in churches or pastors or whatever that do incredible work for their communities Absolutely. and utilize those tools to help others, which at the bottom of everything with Christianity and whatever, like Catholicism, helping people is good. And that's how I try to live my life. I want to help people. I want to 
connect people, make them feel comfortable, provide them safe space to share and be vulnerable and grow. And I think if a lot of that Christian and Catholic stuff was the main focal point, that would be one thing. But at this point, it seems to be very scattered and a little... It's like protecting ideology a little, is more important. Yeah, a little pick and choose, which again, that is for some people, a lot of people don't do that. So I'm not trying to overgeneralize. It's a large group of people we're talking about here. So we're trying to talk about only the bad ones. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're not talking about everybody. There are good people on in every Yeah, and there are good level. people who don't believe in any... You know, it's, exactly. it's, it's, it's we're all people at the yeah. end of the day. So all, it, it's funny because as much of as, as it is a religious issue, it's more of like a humanity issue, I think. Yeah, so, it's a social thing. Yeah. It's just like, how are we going to organize? Yeah. Um, you want to do another song? Sure. Yeah, I don't know what I'll do. Let's see. Uh, this song is called Tricks. And I wrote this in the Deschutes National Forest a couple years ago. Um, I do this artist residency out in outside of Sisters, Oregon at uh, Subtle Lodge. It's a really special place. If you've never been, I recommend checking it out. But um, it's this lodge with a bunch of rustic one-room cabins on a lake. Subtle Lake, and uh, once a year I go there for about a week and stay in a cabin and just write and try to record, and years ago I wrote this song while I was there. It's called Tricks. I can tell by the way you smile, you're up If I just play along I like your spells that last a while Longer than they should I'm a masochist I need your siren song Loving you is easy And living's just the same it's when you're not around, I feel the pain, yeah. Know that when you need me, all you have to say, all you have to say. So fleeting 
loving you is easy And living's just the same It's when you're not around I feel the pain Yeah Know that when you need me All you have to say All you have to say Cause the battle looks bigger in the frying pans Too wide Baby, maybe you can play tricks on me tonight Whoa Baby, maybe you can play tricks on me Thank Very you. Nice. Thank you so much. So are you playing at the Picklefish tonight? I am, yeah. Playing 8 to 10. Playing tomorrow 8 to 10, and then I'm doing a house show in Portland. Playing up in Seattle on the 30th of July as well at the Sunset Tavern with Alex Shaw, a good friend of mine. Um, and then, yeah, August 5th, I start the West Coast tour up the coast from L.A. So. Wow. I bet you're feeling pretty good. Yeah, I feel pretty good working on a bunch of new music with some friends too. I've got a couple different EP singles and an album kind of in the works. So nice. Trying to stay busy. Got a side project with a friend in Seattle too that I've been writing on. We're going to release an EP later this year too. So cool. All around, just trying to stay busy. Uh, where can people find your stuff? Yeah, um, social media. You can search on Instagram, Jacob Miller, on Facebook, Jacob Miller Music. Um, find my stuff on Spotify, just search Jacob Miller or Around My Head, which is my new record. And yeah, pretty much all the streaming services and all the usual BS. I figure most people can figure it out, but just give them a reminder that they can go get it. Totally. And then also we'll put a link in the show notes to your social media stuff and things like that. Great. Yeah. So if you guys are interested in checking out some more of Jacob's stuff, go ahead and follow the links in the show notes. Um, I... Really have enjoyed the hell out of this, man. Thank Thanks. you so much for coming. The Same. music has been so good. Thank it's you. been really nice to get to know you. Thank you so much for coming. I appreciate that, man. Thanks for having me. And yeah, this is my first time doing a podcast in a while. So I uh, appreciate you having me on. And thanks for letting me share my thoughts and some music. Absolutely. Come back anytime. Awesome. Thanks, dude. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ramble by the River. If you did, it really helps us out if you leave us a rating or a review. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And if you want to get more involved and support the show, you can subscribe to our Patreon page for exclusive content, bonus episodes, and a Ramble by the River t-shirt with every Royal Rambler subscription after three months. Instructions for how to join are at ramblebytheriver.com. Click the subscribe link. And it's easy peasy lemon squeezy. Thanks again for listening. Come back next week. Bye. Can't nobody take me.